0: Mark chapter 14, verse 26. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So we pick up at Mark um, after the Passover meal is complete, sharing of the bread, the sharing of the cup, songs of praise, Likely from the Hillel, the Psalm One Fifteen, Psalm One Eighteen, and Jesus Christ and the Eleven. Now they head out to a place called the Mount of Olives, and to set the occasion, it's midnight and it's dark, and I want us to go there. It's midnight. It's been a long day. It's Thursday around midnight for us in our timeline. It's Friday, as a Jew would look at the time. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And while they were going out to the Mount of Olives, Jesus said to them, Guys, you will fall away. Well, that's real happy. You will fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Our loved ones, we need to spend some time here with this verse. Um, This is important stuff right here. Uh, We're coming out of Zechariah chapter uh, 13, verse 7, towards the end of verse 7, and and. Where in the context of Zechariah, it's talking about the uh, martyrdom of the eschatological prophet that would be coming. And I'm going to leave that there. But here we find in Jesus pulls this from Zechariah. He talks about three people, three peoples. Uh, He says, I and the shepherd and the sheep. Who are these folks? When you'd first read this, because Jesus is talking, you would think that Jesus might be the I. But Jesus is quoting from the Old Testament. Actually, the I is not Jesus. The I is God the Father, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and God the Spirit. And the first I out of Zechariah is God the Father. Now, now, pay attention to me because this is absolutely astonishing. Well, watch what happens. Basically, it's saying God the Father will do an action. What will the action be? It's a future action, according in Zechariah. It's a future action that will be taking place. And the action, the English word that is used is strike, strike. Now, understand the use of this word uh, in the Greek is not like a, a Nerf bat hitting a Nerf ball kind of a strike, In fact, in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Greek word that they used to describe in Exodus, what God did in pouring out his judgment, his ten judgments, his wrath on Egypt, was this word here. God struck Egypt. And I think we could all agree, you've seen the movie or something, you know the story that this striking was a total, utter unleashing. It was a pouring out of God's judgment and God's wrath. This is not some light duty like uh, spanking or time out in the corner. And here in the text, Jesus is referring to this thing that uh, I will strike... God the Father will strike, strike who? It says the shepherd. Who's the shepherd? Well, clearly in the context of this, the shepherd is the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. Think about that. God the Father, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And here what the text is telling us is that God the Father is going to unleash his full
1: wrath and judgment on God the Son. That's never happened in all of eternity.
0: And here Jesus is saying, God the Father is going to unleash his wrath in the equivalence to, if you will, like he did with the plagues to Egypt. He's going to unleash himself and his wrath on God the Son. How hard would that be for God the Father? And yet, how hard would that be for the God the Son? Why is that happening? Why would that take place? We'll find out here in a minute. But then there's also a third people group. It says, in all of that, there is the sheep. I, the Father, will strike the shepherd and the sheep. Obviously, here that's the disciples will do what? Scatter. The sheep are great at scattering, that's what they do by nature. And how interesting is it that the ones that deserve the striking, as we'll find out, they're scattering. And the one that does not deserve the striking takes the striking for the sheep. Friends, we're going to Gethsemane. And what generally happens in teaching through Gethsemane here is there gets a lot of horizontal focus. And that's fine. And it's it's real and it's true. Things like... The horizontal relationship focuses on Jesus and the 11, and the 11 on Jesus, and then Jesus on the three, as we'll see in the text. And then the three on Jesus, or Jesus with Judas, or Judas with Jesus, or, or Jesus with the mob, and the mob with Jesus. And you see all these things, and they're all very real, what's going on here. But I just have to say it this way, but what has struck me this week is what's going on in the vertical between God the Son and God the Father. Folks, buckle up. This is amazing. I've generally, when I've taught this passage, probably stayed more in the horizontal than I should have. It's time to go vertical in a significant kind of way because we are given a front seat between a conversation with God the Son and God the Father. And by the way, the whole conversation is about us and saving our poor hides. That's the reality. We're the scattered ones. God the Son and God the Father is having a conversation about how to gather and make provision for gathering the sheep back together. So cool. Friends, we are on holy ground here. And so I ask that we approach it with holy awe because it's midnight. And that what happened in the Garden of Eden is going to replace by what happens in the Garden of Gethsemane. And here we go, verse 26. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives and Jesus said to them, you will fall away for it is written. We'll come back to that. I will strike the shepherd out of Zechariah, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Hopeful statement. Later on, he's where they first began. He's going to bring them back together. That's coming in the text later on in Mark. Verse 29, Peter said to him, Jesus, even though they all fall away, you got a load of this, Peter, just zip it, dude. (laughs) Just please zip it. And it's like Peter throws all his buddies under the bus here. Uh, You're all going to fall away. Peter grabbed a hold of that. And Peter's like, hey, listen, Lord, even though they all fall away, which, by the way, between me and you, they probably will. I'm not because I'm the man. Uh, I will not. Verse 30, and Jesus said to him, Peter, you are such a dork. (laughs) Don't you wish that's what he said? (laughs) I say the grace contained in this statement here. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night, Peter, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And Peter's like, emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. (laughs) Oh, by the way, the next statement is really important. And they all said the same. In other words, all the other disciples, were hearing this conversation, hearing Peter throw them under the bus. And then Peter's back like, no, 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 I won't. And they're like, no, 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 we won't, we won't. Let's work the text out. Peter in boldness, bless his heart. Peter, you forgot Proverbs 16, 28. Pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. Peter, you're going down. You are so unaware of who you really are. Listen to me on this. It's like, Peter, you need to step back and get a right idea of who you really are. Because, Peter, you think you are way better than you really know, than it really is true. Peter. Stop thinking so highly of yourself and start getting a hold of your total inability, Peter. Would you just please stop being arrogant, Peter, and just grab a hold of who you really are? You're not that awesome, Peter. By the way, the same needs to be said to every one of us. And you'll see what I'm saying as the text unfolds. So Peter here is essentially calling Jesus a liar. You see that? Jesus says, you will all fall away. And by the way, Peter, you're gonna deny me three times. Peter's like, no, I'm not. Dude, you just called the man, God in the flesh. You just called him a liar. Jesus basically responds and says, Peter, here's the deal. In three hours... You are going to deny me three times. In about three hours from right now, you're going to be denying me. Verse thirty-two, and they went to a place called Gethsemane. Understand, Gethsemane is within the Mount of Olives. Gethsemane is actually a was a privately owned garden area. Not going to go into it too much, but uh, it was a privately owned area within the area of Gethsemane. And that has, actually has some impact on what ends up happening with the mob coming. We're not going to go into that today. Uh, let's keep reading. Verse 32, and they went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, uh, to the eleven, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter, James, and John. How many disciples are that? Three of them. He took three of them. And he went a little bit further with them. And, and uh, it says, and he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, I'm assuming that them is Peter, James, and John, my soul is very sorrowful. By the way, after what Peter just said, and you know what's going to happen, and you know Peter's acting like a fool, why would you take him? Why wouldn't you leave him on the outer gate? Grace. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch, guys, and going a little further. By the way, Gethsemane's not a huge area. It's not at all. Uh, but he goes a little further, and, and he fell on the ground, and he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Friends, this is Colossians 1. This is the creator of all things, falling to the ground that he created. Distressed. By the way, note in verse 33, it says, He began to be distressed. What does that mean? That means prior to then, He was not. That means that during the Lord's supper time, he wasn't sweating blood, he wasn't sweating buckets, he wasn't like, oh, I'm distressed, I'm distressed. None of that going on. But now that they get up to the Mount of Olives, now that they get into the area of Gethsemane, now that he's coming with the disciples, and there's three of them there, now it's time. And I I just call this, because you have to understand what's happening here in Gethsemane is absolutely pivotal right here. This is an eternity moment. And everything rests on what happens right here. By the way, and I am talking about everything including your and my ability to have the opportunity to not be in hell forever. It's all right here at this point. And it began, it says, and he began, he began to be what? To be distressed, to be troubled, to be sorrowful, even to the point of death. He fell on the ground, he prayed that the hour might pass. Wait, What is Jesus all distressed about? What's he troubled about and sorrowful about and falling to the ground about and praying and pleading the Father that it might pass? Well, what's he agonizing over? Well, duh, duh, didn't you go to seminary?
1: Like the cross, um, I mean, man, the ensuing physical pain of the cross.
0: I mean, haven't you seen the Passion movie? By the way, it's probably the best movie in depicting what's really going on in a crucifixion. Just the horrific reality of everything in the situation and the surrounding circumstances of the cross and the pain and the humility of it all. It's true. But do know this, that Jesus Christ was not the first person to be crucified. I mean, there had been hundreds of people crucified before in the way Romans did uh, this uh, execution. He wasn't the first person. He knew what was going on. And so, actually, that adds to the fact of the the pain and agony of knowing what's going on. But let me just kind of say it this way. Uh, You and I would get caught up in the reality of the pain and the agony of the physical torture of the cross. That's where we land. But that's not what Jesus Christ got busted up over. It's true that the cross is something to be busted up over. But let me say it this way. Jesus becomes busted up over something that you and
1: I far too infrequently get busted up over. And that is sin. Let's just be straight up, and I'm being
0: totally transparent straight up with you. How often do we really
1: get busted up about our depravity and our sin? Here is the Holy One of God, the second person of the Trinity, God in the flesh, falling down on his
0: face, sweating blood, crying out, as we'll see here in just a minute. All of these kinds of things here. Why? Why? Because of the pain of the cross? Um, No. Not fully. But because God has the perfect ability to be able to see the full consequences of sinfulness. And when he looks at sinfulness, he sees the full consequences of it. The depravity of it. The totality of it. The, the, The fact that sin causes separation from God. And God the Son is realizing that what he is about to do is going to cause for him in the first time in all of eternity past for the son to be separated from the father because of sin. And let me tell you
1: folks, he's busted up over to the point of bleeding sweat. and i ask myself and i ask you and i are we anywhere even even close to anything like that in our day and age
0: we down talk sin we 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 box it we we frame it re reterm it And we make it comfortable and something that we
1: can handle. And we humanize it. And we don't get busted up that much over it. We need to be more like this.
0: We need to be more like our Savior and see sin as sin really is. Friends, in the Garden of Eden... Sin brought death and disease and pain and war and chaos and hell. Sin brought separation from God. And people ask the good question, why do so many think bad things happen in our world today? Answer, sin. But that's actually the wrong question. The right question is, why does anything good ever happen in this world when we are, as the scripture says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The only reason this earth does not implode in utter wrath and judgment and living hell is because God is restraining us from imploding ourselves. I realize if you're visiting with us today, you're like, what in the world is up with you today, dude? And I just want to let you know we're here in this text as we're moving through. And friends, as you look at the text, that's what's
1: happening.
0: Jesus Christ going to the cross means that Jesus Christ takes on sin. But let me clarify that. Because here's how we usually think, you know, like in a baseball game or a football game, we're like, come on, we want to take you guys on. There's me, and then there's that, what we take on. Okay, Here's not what is happening. It's not about Jesus Christ here taking on the war of sin, and there's like nothing with. That's not what's going on. You do understand that. Well, if you don't, here, understand this. What's really going on when Jesus is talking about why he's so busted up about it is because actually, as I'll read here in some passages, tell us that what happens is God the Son actually becomes sin. You see what I'm saying? It's not just like, ha, let's battle it out. It's no, no, no. All of sin is poured on him. Listen to these texts: First Peter two twenty five. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Second Corinthians five twenty one. Oh, this is stunning! Listen to this: For our sake, the Father made him to be
1: sin. Not just take it on. Not just duel it out, but to be
0: sin. Galatians 3.13, Jesus Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. We saw that passage earlier, the pastor Nick read. The curse of the law. Listen, by becoming a curse. John 3.36, the wrath of the Father remains on him, the Son. Hebrews 12.2, looking to Jesus who for the joy that was set before him, yes, endured the cross. Yes, it was horrific, the enduring of the cross. But it goes on to say the joy, how interesting is that word? The joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. In Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected by man. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows and pierced for our transgressions. Listen, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Isn't that what's happening in Mark 14? Scattered. We all like sheep have gone astray. And listen, and the Father has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb led to slaughter. It was the will
1: of the Father to crush him. It was the will of the Father to crush him. The Father has put him to grief. Why? Because he became sin.
0: The Holy Righteous Father, Habakkuk 1.13, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong, even if it's your Son. For Christ, 1 Peter 3.18, died for sins, the righteous one for the unrighteous ones. Why was Jesus so distressed? Why was Jesus so troubled? Why was he so sorrowful? Why so face down in prayer? Because the sinless son of God took on our sin, becoming our sin.
1: Whew. Why would anyone do that?
0: Someone shoveled her driveway the other day. I don't know who did it. Was anyone here? Thanks. Thanks. How sweet. I don't know
1: why. We're talking something at a whole nother level. Why would anyone, especially
0: why would God, take on our sin to be crushed by God the Father? Folks, we think we're too awesome, just like Peter. Listen, let's just be straight up. We think we're just way too great.
1: We think we're special and awesome and mighty, and look at me. That is just like Peter, so arrogant of us. Like God needs us. Verse
0: 35. And going a little further, he fell down on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Friends, pause, holy moment here. Know this, this is not a human-to-human conversation. We far too often humanize Jesus, and we far too often humanize the Father and the Spirit. Listen, this is a deity conversation. This is a divinity conversation that we just have this amazing seat to write at the moment. And what's really going on here in this Godhead conversation is that it's actually about the son and the father having this conversation. By the way, there was more said than just what's written here. And yet this conversation going on, and yet we're the ones who the conversation is ultimately about doing to save our hides. God the Father's not like worried about he's going to be alone. God the Son's not worried that he's going to be alone. God the Spirit's not worried that he's going to be alone. And they want like a bigger party because they really need us at the party. It's more like unfathomable grace. That's what it's really more like. Why would anybody do this? And notice it's a battle of the will. Of the Son. God the Son in flesh and a battle of the will within himself. Even his deity doesn't make it easy. And he's in this and it's like, uh, uh, Father, if it were possible, the hour might go. All things are possible. for. Can, you, can we remove this cup? In other words, the decision that we made before, back in eternity past, that we would do this redeeming work to save souls... Is there another way? Is there like an option B?
1: Can you check the minutes on that, Lord?
0: (laughs) And here's the answer.
1: No. There's no other way. Friends, hear me on this. If
0: Jesus right here does not turn to the cross, and if he does not say, your will, not my will, right in this moment, we are doomed. This
1: is the moment. This is the moment. And Father, if there's any other way, and it's like,
0: no, there's no other way. I just read you the minutes from when we had the conversation in the past. And this is the only way. Okay, not my will, but what you will. Verse 37, and he came and he found, Jesus came and he found the the three sleeping and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep, dude? Dude, dude, you're not so awesome, are you? Could you not watch for just one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak, isn't it? Don't we all get that? Right now would really encourage me if you said, yeah, I get that. Okay, thank you. I just don't wanna be alone. Verse 39, and again he went away and prayed. but Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup for me. Yet Not what I will, but what you will. And again he came and found them sleeping, and their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. Now they're feeling bad. Why? Because the flesh is weak, isn't it? Oh, I'm so like them. And he came a third time. That means that he went back a third time. Abba, Father, all things are possible. Remove this cup from me. It's like three times. Can we recheck the notes again? And a third time, he's submitting himself to the will of the Father here. He's trusting that the Father, even in the moment of realizing what's going to come upon him, even when it's hard to do what's right, it's still hard. But we trust in the Father, we trust in the Word, and we do it because we know it's the right thing to do. And he came the third time and he said, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Here's the drive to stake in the moment. It's already happened. It is enough. The hour has come. Circle that if you can see it. (laughs) The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. No, wait. Let let us be going. Or is it let us be going or is it let us run away as fast as we possibly can? No, it's let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Verse 41. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinner. The word "betrayed," it means this idea of handed over, given over, delivered over. It's passive voice. That means the action is happening upon the person that, that is being referred to. Well, that makes sense. Who, who's betraying? Well, certainly Jesus is or I'm sorry, uh, uh, Judas is betraying Jesus, right, right? Uh, But also, if we think about this biblically, even what we've covered so far, not only is Judas handing Jesus over, but who else is handing Jesus over? The Father is. God the Father is handing over God the Son. We could even add into this reality that actually Jesus is also handing himself over. And I can prove that because you go to Ephesians 5.25 and it says, uh, Christ gave himself up for his bride. Christ gave himself up. Hey, by the way, pause moment. Men, husbands, do you realize Ephesians 5.25 is talking about how you and I are to live as men, are to live as husbands with our wives? In other words this everything we've just been talking about husbands Ephesians 5:25 we are to be living and thinking and doing and processing in the exact same way that Jesus is doing right here No but I want But this is my desire But I'm the leader Oh yeah like that's what Jesus is doing here copping that attitude with the father Mhm Not By the way, wives, be very careful in your attitude right now. And I mean that very seriously. Because it is not an easy task to live this. It's not an easy task to be this yourself. It's not an easy task to live this as a husband. In verse 42, Jesus is going to the cross, full control. He was not caught in a bad place at a bad time and got ripped off. Jesus Christ went to the cross and he was not killed.
1: He gave up his life.
0: Verse 43. And immediately... Wow, oh, thank you. You guys are awesome. While he was still speaking, saying like, let's go, Judas came, one of the twelve, with him, the crowd of the swords and clubs of the, from the chief priests, how sad is that, and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, Judas, uh, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And They laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood his by drew his sword. Peter, dude, stop it. Struck the servant ear of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? I mean, seriously, guys? I mean, after all, day after day, I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me then. Underline this next statement. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. Friends, as we should, our Savior was submissive and obedient to two things. How many? One, the will of the Father, and two, the Word of God.
1: That's it. I mean, that's the whole Christian life summed up right there. We're to be submissive to the will of the Father
0: for His glory, and we are to be submissive and obedient to the written Word of God. That's it. That's it. That's just it you're like, that's it. Yeah, that's it. And let's finish here. Verse 50. And they all left him and fled. Peter and the other 10 were all wrong. And Jesus was right. They scattered. They abandoned him. He's all alone. He's all alone. No human is behind him cheering him on. And yet he still goes why because of the will of the father and because of it is submissive and obedient to the word we don't do things for the pleasure of people we do things for the glory and in obedience to the word of god And they left him and they fled. Verse 51, and a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body and they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. That's kind of like a bizarre comment in this. Tradition has it that this very well could have been John Mark, the human author of the book that we are reading right now. Why? Some say that it's possible that the upper room actually took place in John Mark's parents' home. And all of a sudden when they head out and the whole thing with Judas, it's possible if all that was happening upstairs and then they head out that John Mark is following behind. I'm only bringing that up. We don't know that for sure, but I'm only saying this. The human author of this book understands what it means to be unfaithful as well. Verse 53, and they led Jesus to the high priest. That's next Sunday. What just happened in Gethsemane? Two things. A conversation took place and a decision was made. A conversation between God the Son and God the Father, and a decision was made by God the Son. This is it, this is going to happen. Yet we have to understand that this conversation was not just a normal conversation. This is not a conversation like, uh, where are we going to go now and have lunch at? Or not a conversation about where to buy a car or, or what career to go into or uh, what person to to date or to marry or how many children we should have or or can I retire or when can I retire? Listen, all those, I'm not putting those decisions down. Those are all important decisions of life that are heavy decisions in life, but do understand this has nothing to the level of those decisions this has an unfathomable level of decision making this is god the son making and having an unfathomable conversation and decision about the unfathomable problem of our sin friends hear me on this the bible says not because i want it to but the bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god and Romans 6:23 says that the wages of sin is death. That's just not physical death, that's spiritual death. Because of sin, we're separated from God. We start out there. And the question is, how do we rejoin it back? But friends, I want us to key in on this thing of we do not understand the gravity of our sin. We do not understand the gravity and the severity and the agony of our
1: sin. We don't. We just don't. And we're like the disciples who've fallen asleep
0: in it all. And I'm just saying this in love as I can. I'm saying this just as much
1: as me as I am to you. Wake up. It's time for us to wake up. Up to sin. Wake up. It's destroying you. It destroys relationships. We need more face on the ground, sweating over the reality of sin. Oh God, help me.
0: But here's the thing, I do not want to send you out today feeling like, man, I just went to church and got bumbled. Here's where I want to end it. If you do not see the reality of your sin, the unfathomableness of the grandness and gravity of your sin, you will never see the
1: unfathomable amazement of the grace of Christ you won't see it. We are a depraved people and we
0: need unfathomable grace. And yet today we live in a world, we live in a country where so many people think that I can earn my way to heaven by doing good jobs, by going to church, by doing good deeds. I can somehow earn favor with God. Both in coming back in relationship with him as well as staying in relationship. That's ridiculous. That's utterly ridiculous. The only hope you and I have is by falling face down before Jesus Christ
1: and saying, I stink. Will you take me back?
0: And the unfathomable grace of our Lord pours it out. Because he was broken and poured it out. By the way, he didn't like last Sunday. He, Jesus didn't dabble it out. He pours it out. Have you gone to that place? If I were to ask you the question, if you were to stand before God and he were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would your answer be? And if it's like, well, you know, I really tried, you're in trouble. Well, I went to church. Well, I believe there's a God. I'm just telling you, so do the demons. Demons go to church. They go to some churches. The only acceptable answer is what the scripture says. As many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God. And this is the testimony that God has given eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you. Believe in the name of the son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Not because of anything you have done. Have you come to Christ? Face down, poured out. And I'm also just gonna finish it with this. I've gone way over time. Thank you for your grace. Unfathomable grace. Let me just say this. If you are in Christ and you are in sin,
1: come back. Fall. You don't earn your, you don't earn favor
0: with God to come into relationship with him and you don't earn favor with God during relationship with him. It's unfathomable grace all the time, all the time. We are small, we are little, we bite.
1: But he is grace.
0: Lord, with that, we close and we pray. God, I pray if there's anyone in here if they're scattered from you, if they've never come to know you, I pray they would right now return to the shepherd of their soul. And Father, I pray for the sheep that they would also remember the story is coming where the sheep that ran at this time in Gethsemane from Christ, he's going to gather them back. Oh, it's grace, it's grace, it's grace. It's not built upon what we can do. It's not built upon who we are. Oh, God, help us just to stop that thinking. You are the great shepherd. And Father, it is amazing that you stricken the son with all wrath and fury for our sin. Lord, these are the hardest sermons for me to conclude. You know that. So I'm just going to leave it in your hands. May the Spirit of God do a work among us. and May your unfathomable grace be poured out. Because we are in desperate need.
1: You are unfathomable.